When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. Mike McDaniel still on paternity leave. He will be back very soon. Once again, I am not by myself, though. I am joined once again by our favorite Virginia correspondent, Mr. Justin Ferber from CavsCorner.com on the Rivals Network. Justin, welcome back. How you been, man? I'm good. Um, I was kind of expecting that, you know, if Mike was here, we would just talk for like an hour about UVA throwing a pass to an offensive lineman at the end of the rivalry game. Um, but I guess we get to skip that this time. I, I will have mercy on you for that one. Uh, I, I can't. Honestly, I don't mind talking about that because it's so bizarre. <laughs> it's a moment out of a fever dream, it seemed like. Uh, yeah. I, I won't hold that over you. I don't have a whole lot of the Georgia Tech fan that I can hold over Virginia fans right now. It's uh, It's been a rough couple of years, so we'll we'll skip that part on my end as well. Um, uh, Justin, thank you so much for, for joining us and for your time today. As mentioned, uh, Mike is out, um, and he's, he's not able to give any, uh, any live inputs here, but I, I did want to mention, he, he did send me something, uh, you know, he wanted, he did want to give a couple of thoughts on Virginia. And so he sent me this, so let me play this real quick and then we'll, uh, we'll get into our discussion here. So here's Mike and, uh, and his thoughts on Virginia coming into this year. Virginia is awesome. Very good, Mike. All right, I agree. Uh, that was very kind of him. He, I, I'm surprised. Magnanimous. <laughs> Mike, a man of many words, as we all know. Um, <laughs> Justin, this is a fun year for Virginia, I think, in a lot of ways, you know, under a new coaching staff and everything. And I, I felt like the, the process for getting to this coach was really kind of odd to follow on a, on a couple of different levels. I mean, first of all, you had Bronco Mendenhall just kind of resigning out of nowhere. It didn't seem like that was – particularly like warranted or called for out, you know, for any obvious reasons, you know, performance had been fine around uh, the Virginia football program. You know, there weren't any obvious problems there. Uh, So that was kind of odd. And then the coach hiring process, it seemed like initially they settled on, uh, or or they were kind of targeting Anthony Poindexter, uh, the co-DC out of Penn state. Of course he was co-DCs with Brent Pry, who's now at Virginia tech. That was kind of a, a, a fun little thing that, you know, maybe could have happened. Uh, initially targeted Anthony Poindexter, eventually move on to, to Tony Elliott. There were reports that Elliott was there to sign a contract and then he like leaves without signing the contract. And then he comes back and now he's the head coach. Yeah. So just a, a really kind of bizarre search and process, I guess that, that we went through to get to this point, I guess my, my question for you really is just what is the general pulse of the fan base in terms of this hire? I mean, it, it was a weird process, but like, are we happy with where we ended up? Does it matter how we got there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, as somebody who was covering that, uh, it was like one of the most bizarre things I can imagine. I mean, I was there the last time the co- uh, football coaching job came open, and that was more what you expect, right? Like Mike Lennon had gone however many seasons with one winning season and five or six, however many it was, he got fired, um, was replaced a week later by somebody else. Mm-hmm. This was like uh, we were waiting for uh, – to be honest, we were waiting for like a few assistants maybe to get let go, like the defensive coordinator, Nick Howell, who had like really been struggling and the defense had just kind of tailed off 
mm-hmm. uh, year over year and kind of culminated in a really bad defense in 2021. Um, and yeah, it was like a team meeting. And then it was like, you know, at four fifty-five, and I was like, Oh, that's a weird thing to do. And then it was a bit of a news dump quality to it, wasn't it? Oh yeah. It was like a Wednesday or Thursday and it just dropped and we were like, (laughs) Oh, okay. So I guess, you know, we're we're like, we did an emergency edition of our podcast. We're like creating the hot board for our site. You know, Tony Elliott was on that hot board. So it was Anthony Poindexter. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we did a pretty good job there. Um, Yeah. I mean, as far as like, I would say at the time, um, there were certainly people that um, were in Dex. Every here calls him Dex in his camp um, because of his, you know, ties to UVA. He's one of the most successful players that ever played here. Unfortunately, I mean, he probably would have be like a more well-known person, but he had like a catastrophic knee injury at the end of his college career and like didn't really have a pro career because of that. Um, but he coached here um, under Al Groh and then Mike London, and then has gone on to, you know, success elsewhere. Um, or promotions at least. So, yeah, I mean, there was definitely some sentimental value there. And I think a lot of people thought that, you know, he could do things like in recruiting and, you know, connections to the state and kind of bringing people together. With all that said, I think Tony Elliott is easily the more qualified of the two. I mean, he's a Broyles award winner, Mm -hmm. um, called plays in multiple national championship games and won one of them. Um, And, you know, has turned down other jobs that are, I would say, quote unquote, bigger jobs. Um, But I mean, I think as far as like how people feel about it and and the fit, I think it's clear to see the fit between the two. Like, I think this is a good place for him to be. I think, you know, he's a good fit for the school. Um, You know, this is the kind of job that he seems to want, uh, you know, with like the emphasis on academics and trying to like do things a certain way and all that. Um, You know, when you compare Clemson and the way that they do their run their, you know, program, they have like a slightly different way of doing it than maybe like the Alabamas and Georgias and A&Ms, just like the culture that they have. And I think that's mm-hmm. like a big part of it. And um, I think he's trying to do that here, but yeah, I think, I think most people are on board. The only hesitancy I give you is that like, um, and I think this is more just message board fodder than it is like the actual entire fan base. But I think some people expected them to hit the ground running a little bit more in recruiting. Mm, um, yeah. But I think that it's a little bit more nuanced than people are willing to say at this point. Like, I mean, you can't just like turn on the faucet and get all the five-star recruits. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, and, and they have a lot of catching up to do in that regard in terms of making, you know, relationships with, you know, high school players around Virginia and different things. But mm-hmm. um, it's not, I mean, you look at Virginia Tech's class, their class is about the same. Like, I mean, I think, and I think Brent Pry is going to do a great job recruiting there. So like, you know, I think people are kind of overreacting a little bit to that, but I think overall people are, are willing to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one thing I would say about Bronco is like people liked him, but people were getting tired of losing to tech. Yeah. Um, and also like, I think, and then the way that that game ended, it certainly was bad. I mean, they lost their last four games. Um, I don't want to say like he got out before the, the situation turned on him, but it might've, gone you know what i mean like you've seen this at georgia tech and elsewhere like things are going well until like they slow uh, but eventually the fans will kind of like turn on you and yeah i think he might have like got out before that happened i i understand what you're saying by that and i you see it happen in different places and it's 
it's always funny. I mean, I, I, it's not exactly the same, but you can kind of look at maybe like a Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Same thing. You know, they're they're a few years removed now from going eleven and two and potentially making a playoff and that kind of thing. And now they're kind of hovering back around seven and five or so. And you wonder like. Did he wait too long? You know, did he, you know, did he burn out a little bit or did, did he uh, miss his window? So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, I guess, with the, with the way that the trajectory of the program was going. And as you mentioned, I mean, the defense especially is something that was a calling card for, for Bronco Mendenhall and in, in his whole career back going back to BYU. Um, and it was something that had kind of degraded over the last couple of years, in, you know, in Charlottesville. So that's, that's another sign, I think, that is fair to look at and say, like, what's going on here? Like, is this getting better or not? Um, back to this this coaching staff, I guess, in particular, is one of the things that kind of raised an antenna with me, and I've talked about this on the podcast a little bit, is when I look through this staff that Tony Elliott hired, and you mentioned he's a first-time head coach. He's obviously, you know, been around some pretty high-level football over the last several years as, a, uh, you know, calling plays at Clemson. But at the same time, you know, he is a first-time head coach, and I look at this coaching staff, and there's some some pretty good names here, but there's a lot of guys who – have never even really coached at the power five level. Like there is a real limited amount of experience uh, in terms of this coaching staff to the point that honestly, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of the staff that Jeff Collins has been running out at Georgia tech the last three years where, uh, you know, a few guys with connections to the program, but have never worked at the power five level and it, it hadn't worked well in Atlanta. Is there any concerns in your mind about that in terms of just trying to, you know, get the program organized and, uh, the, the way things should be run and, and getting the right voices in the room. Do you feel like that is in place for Tony with this, with this assistant coaching staff? Yeah. And it's interesting because like at UVA, I've kind of seen a few different versions of this. So like Mike Lennon's first staff was like kind of exactly what you're getting at here where like he brought a bunch of guys from Richmond and I just think that it was like too big for them maybe. And he ended up letting some of those guys go. Some of them stuck around, mm -hmm. but then he basically had like a 2.0 staff, which was like the, you see this a lot around the country. Like the, we're not going to fire you, but you have to like change your staff staff. Mm -hmm. And it was like Tom O'Brien and all these guys that was like more experience. So that you had the experience there, but they fit together John Tenuta um, and they fit together worse because I think it was like they had too many cooks in the kitchen and th things were already kind of like trending in the wrong direction. And, um, so that was weird. And then Bronco staff was like really, really unique in that like he brought almost everybody with him. So like he he kept Marcus Higgins and like everybody else on his staff until he hired Clint Simpson at the end in his last couple of years there, like literally his entire staff was like BYU coaches, people that were like his best friends. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, it was like, all right, so like, this isn't a normal staff, but maybe it makes them better. We'll see. And I think it helped in some ways. And in some ways, maybe he was too loyal, you know? Um, and with this staff, it's like, it's interesting. I can kind of see it both ways. Like I definitely see the point you're making. And I had some concern when they were building the staff out a little bit about like, all right, you know, where are they getting these guys? Like, how is this going to fit together? Um, if you look at who they like, who they've hired, their defensive coordinators from air force, um, they have a coach that they hired that was at Navy, another one that was at Army, um, another one that quarterback's coach was from Gardner-Webb, um, even though he's kind of considered like a rising star. Um, they did keep three coaches, which I think fans were really happy with, especially Marcus Higgins, um, and then Garrett Tuje, the offensive line coach, and Sintum, who I mentioned before. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the staff kind of like – there's not a lot of power five experience. Um, I mean, I would say the most experienced unless I'm missing one is Hagen's and that experience is here. Mm -hmm. So um, 
Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, but at the same time, like if I wanted to spin it the other way, I could say like Tony Elliott is somebody who has played at a or coached at a school and played there um, at a school that's had like all the advantages, right. They have a freaking slide in their indoor, you know, in their football facility. Like, yeah. so he knows what it's like to be at the top and he's brought in some guys that have been at the bottom. So like he, he hired a bunch of coaches that have been at like HBCUs and places like that, you know, like FCS programs, like I mentioned, the service academies, coaches and staffs that, and I think this is really big for UVA and recruiting can like find ways to maximize what you have and then like find under the radar players. Um, and I think they, they are always going to have to do that unless you're like Clemson, basically you're going to have to do that. Mm-hmm. So, and it comes down to development. And I think that's your point is like, are these guys like the best guys to develop power five players? Um, we're going to find out. Like, there's no way for me to be able to give you a good answer on that. I will say, like, we had, like, a media lunch with them last week, and I was pretty impressed with them. Like, we got to kind of pick their brains a little bit, um, and I thought that that was good. I did forget just now the offensive coordinator probably has the most power five experience because he was at NC State for, like, eight years. I was going to say, um, yeah, Des Kitchings. Des Kitchings, and then State. he was at South Carolina and with the Falcons. And he spent a couple um, years at Vandy, even before NC State. Yeah, that's well, right. So. Yeah, and he was an all, he called plays there as well, which I didn't know until I talked to him the other day. Um, but yeah, I mean, like there's some and there's connections there. Like it's actually kind of interesting. Like Tony Elliott was hired to like replace Des Kitchens on his staff, I think, like at, at like Furman, like his first job, hmm. and they had like the same phone. So like, you know, like they gave his like Kitchings or gave Elliot Kitchings phone or something. So like they were, he was like getting calls for him and that's kind of like how they met. He was like, Hey man, like this person called you like, you know, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's just interesting, but yeah, we'll see how it all fits together. I will say like, I was pretty impressed with them like last week and then today at practice, just seeing how they communicate and things like that. But I mean, I've seen staffs where I was like, this is going to be great. And it falls on its face. And I've seen other ones where like, you know, you're like, I don't know, like Broncos staff didn't have any power five experience really. Yeah. Um, because like they were all at BYU, but I would still consider BYU like high level football. Like right. you're still kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. They're, they're the ones that, you know, a lot of people will lump Notre Dame in with the power five, even not being mm-hmm. in the conference, but even then like BYU is, is pretty much there. I mean, more so than the other independents, I, I would tend to say. So the weird uh, thing for that staff was like, they're so used to having older players because of mm-hmm. the missions, yeah. but like, yeah, I mean, but the, this staff, it's like, you know, it's an interesting mix of different guys and, and they did bring two coaches from air force. So they're sort of familiar with each other. And like I said, they kept three, um, but you know, it'll be interesting to see how it all fits together, but you know, I, they seem to be buying in, but again, they haven't played a game yet. So of course. hard to say. Well, and all I know is that if, if something interesting happens here and one day there's like a documentary made about this particular team and season, I'm guessing the first scene is going to be a flashback to 2008, Tony Elliott talking to Des Kitchings on the phone saying, hey, I've, <laughs> I've got your cell phone uh, or something like that. Well, that's what, you know, we were as media people, we were kind of like, because it wasn't, I mean, you would see a lot of this when other coaches get hired, like, oh, like, it's very obvious how this guy is connected to like Brent Pry hiring Tyler Bowen or whatever is offense. They work together on the same staff. Like, sure. okay. Um, Tony Elliott didn't overlap with a lot of these coaches, but he has connections with them. And so we were like, so how do you know each other? You know, like at the beginning when they first got here. So like Taylor lamb, for example, like they're off their uh, quarterbacks coach. Like he, his dad was Tony Elliott's boss <laughs> at Furman or something. So like, that's how they, so he's known Taylor since he was like a, a kid, you huh. know? Um, and there's like connections like that. And, you know, it's, it, we'll see how it plays out. I think he got guys that he wanted. 
I would, I would be kind of, I think it would be naive to be like, he didn't, you know, strike out on like anybody, you know, Mm -hmm. that he tried to get, especially for maybe like the defensive coordinator role. Although I feel like they got a really good one. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, yeah, I mean, like we'll, we'll see how it all comes together. Um, Sure. And there, I mean, there's a lot of speculation too. I mean, I remember again, the whole, like he, he showed up to sign the contract and then like left without signing. And then he came back Mm -hmm. and did it. There was a lot of speculation. Yeah. Yeah, And there was a lot of speculation, I guess, that that was related to money or funding or facilities upgrades or, you know, take your pick of like program investment basically. And, And you could see how like one of the most important things to any head coach in their contract is what does my assistant pool look like? You know, what, what kind of money do I have for that? And so, sure. That, that helps to kind of drive the boat of who am I able to bring in here. Yeah, and also, like, you, UVA, I'd say their biggest issue going into this search was um, their football facilities are, like, way behind. Not mm-hmm. the indoor football facilities, like, not the fields and stuff like that, and the stadium's okay. Um, but, like, the actual building that they – the operations center, I guess you could say. It was built in the early 90s. At that point, it was probably state-of-the-art. They tried to, like, renovate it on the inside a few times, but – when you look at what other schools have, and I'm not talking about Clemson, I'm talking about other ACC programs that you're competing against for players and Duke and places like that, you know, you can't, it's hard. I mean, they, they, you know, they're in competition too with schools like Northwestern who have like invested a lot of money in football, stuff like that. Um, they were way behind. And I think if you were talking about like a financial commitment being part of this, I think it would probably have been the money to get the facility built which is now done. I mean, I was at the facility today for practice and they have the, the area where it's going to be built. It's all fenced in to be, you know, they're going to demolish the field that it's on and put it up. Um, and they got that money. So it's going to be cool. It's not going to be like the, you know, like I said, they're not going to have like a putt putt course in there or anything like that, but um, it's going to be much, much nicer and they will be, you know, on the level of their peers. And I think that's big. The, the word that I heard, and I can kind of see this just like the way that he put his staff together and even some recruiting things that I've seen. And I think he might be the first person to say this, but it sounds like Tony Elliott is like a very uh, meticulous and like thoughtful person. So like he doesn't make quick decisions on things like this. And he like really wanted to, I think it might've been as simple as like, give me a night to think about it. Mm. And, you know, UVA flew him home, but I mean, that deal was done pretty much like the next morning. So I mean, I think it was one of those things where it's like talk it out with your family and leave. Obviously, like the optics of him like leaving without doing it made it look like he was going to say no. Um, and I was certainly like, all right. And there were some rumors about other coaches getting interviewed and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it all worked out okay for all parties. Everybody kind of got what they wanted. And, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, if he, you know, if in five years they're competing for ACC titles, if the ACC still exists, um, <laughs> you know, uh, then everything will be fine. And if he's not doing well, then, you know, things won't be fine. And the, the TikTok of how he got the job probably won't matter so much. Absolutely. That, that makes sense. It's, it's something that we can talk about now before they've played a game, but before long, we won't remember it at all. So, yeah. Um, very good. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about this roster, uh, Justin, and in particular the the offensive side of the ball. I think is in a is in a particularly peculiar kind of place. He, he obviously bring back Brandon Armstrong. He's coming back. He's one of the best quarterbacks, not only in the ACC but probably in the country. Uh, had a huge year, throwing for almost forty five hundred yards, thirty one touchdowns last year. Uh, everything really kind of ran through him. Uh, it was a it was a very pass heavy offense. It was kind of kind of wild scheme wise to watch at times. Some of the things that they were doing and ways that they were using different players, very creative. 
Um, he's got all, almost all of his receivers back. Uh, Billy Kemp back for something like his 12th or 14th year with the program, it right. seems like. Uh, Rayshon Henry and Jelani Woods gone. But otherwise, I mean, all the other skill guys back, that's the good news. The bad news is that the offensive line at this point, as far as I can tell, I, I, I don't – I mean, is anybody back up front? It seems like there's basically complete and total changeover up front. Not a lot of guys that have played – um, mm. I think they, the, the things I've heard is that the staff and people around the program are a little bit higher on what they have than, than, uh, than the outside world, but that is because they've seen what we haven't seen, but we'll see. I've, I've heard that kind of stuff from other staff so that it, it's just as bad as we thought it would be. Um, like a quarterback, for example, uh, but this guy's going to like take the next step and then you go watch and it's like, yeah, he's not good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but We'll see. But yeah, I mean, they had a bunch of guys go in the portal. That was sort of the most unfortunate part of the coaching change was that like there was a lot of um, uncertainty about like who was going to be kept on. You know, he didn't make that decision really quickly to keep the offensive line coach, for example. Um, And they were going through like a bowl prep. And that was that was part of the problem was like UVA was going to play in the Fenway Bowl. So the new staff, Elliot, was basically like, I'm going to like let Bronco finish his time here and then I'll kind of take over. And then of course, like they didn't even play that game because of COVID. So it got canceled. So then it's like, they kind of had to, and in that, like in between time, you had some guys like Oluwatimi, who's like an all American center. Um, You know, he starts looking around at his options. He doesn't know if his offensive line coach is going to be back or not. Michigan offers, he visits, he's like, and also UVA stat or UVA's offense last year didn't, showcase their ability to run block because they didn't run block right so like a lot of the guys were like i need to get that on tape if i want to go pro um and also like i mean if you look at if you're the offensive line coach if you're selling this to recruits i mean you look at where those guys went so he sent olu to michigan bob bobby haskins goes to usc ryan swoboda goes to ucf and obviously you don't want to lose these guys uh bissinger goes to smu so it's not like they're losing guys to like you know the fcs ranks mm-hmm. um but I mean, yeah, I mean, they had a good offensive line for pass protection, um, but they did, didn't run the ball very much. So I think they might be a little bit higher on the script's ability to, to do that. Not, not to say they're going to be better than last year, but um, I think they, they feel okay about it. But yeah, it's a weird situation where it's like you have all your skill guys back and no offensive linemen, um, except for a couple guys that played in like depth spots. Uh it's kind of like, you know, I was thinking about earlier, like the Bengals where people were like, they need an offensive lineman and then they drafted Jamar Chase and people were like, but who's going to, who's going to keep Joe Burrow from getting killed? If, yeah. You know, he's not going to be able to get the ball to the, to the receiver. So you have to kind of hope it works out like it did for the Bengals. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, that's clearly that's worked out well and you don't have to block for very long if your guy can get open pretty immediately. Yeah. Um, and I guess along that line, I mean, again, Justin, last year, this was a, a pretty well-regarded passing attack. I mean, they, they racked up yards and points against a lot of the teams that they played, but again, kind of in a really unique and, and odd scheme at times that, that really worked well with, with all that, all the, I guess all the skill talent within the passing attack with all of that back, do you, have you got any indication from Des Kitchings that the scheme will kind of reflect that, that heavy pass attack capabilities, or is he looking to go to something that is maybe a little bit more, run heavy that it involves run blocking up front some of those things yeah i mean i talked to him actually for quite a while last week at the uh like media availability for assistance and they talked a lot since tony elliott got the job 
um, about like trying to reemphasize the run. And I don't think they're just going to be like, and, and this was his point, And this made me feel a little better about that because I was like, yeah, you can say that. But like, if you have a bunch of NFL caliber wide receivers and a good quarterback, like don't just run the ball to run the ball. Right. right. Um, like UVA's offense was pass heavy, but they'd scored a lot of points and got a lot of yards, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so it worked. Um, but his thing was like, we just want to win, you know, like we'll do what we need to do. And, and they're willing to sort of like, you know, mix it up. But, and, and he said something that I thought was kind of smart, which was like, it's not necessarily balance. Like balance is sort of overrated, but you have to be able to run the ball when you need to run the ball. Like, right. even if that's only 10 times, but like at the end of the game or something, you need to be able to do that. And he also told us that, and I thought this was kind of interesting that like when they were like meeting the team, you know, when they took the job wide receivers and like Brennan and all these guys were like, t- like one of the first things they told the staff was like, we need to be able to run the ball better. Hmm. Like, and it's like, and he was like, you know, if a wide receiver is telling you that, then like that means something like they understand like the need for that. So, and I don't think that like talent at running back is really an issue. It's just like those guys really aren't, weren't used. So mm-hmm. Um, and again, I can't really fault Robert and I too much for that because they were scoring points and winning games. But like, it's like uh, Narduzzi kind of going after Mark Whipple a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, you won the ACC. Like, it wasn't a disaster. Right. Um, but works. yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but so I don't think they're going to just like run the ball for the sake of running it. But I think that they can be a little bit more balanced. And I'm interested really to see how they can in, like incorporate the RPO stuff that Clemson does. Um, which is a huge part of their offense when it's working. Like, and, and with, even with like Bryce Perkins, like a nice offense doesn't really use those plays very much. It sort of might look like a read option, but it's like a predetermined mm. read. So like, there's not a lot of like, he reads a player and throws a run. So I'm interested to see how that might keep all, you know guys off balance. And, and the offensive line coach kind of talked about how like last year, teams knew you know they could just rush straight at the offensive lineman because they knew that they weren't going to run block so they're they they do not have to worry about like being in the run gaps mm. um so and he was like i've seen every blitz you can think of because they were just dialing up pressure every time mm. um but yeah i mean it'll be interesting but yeah i think it'll be if you ask me i would say this year it'll be more like what we saw last year because of the personnel mm-hmm. with more running and then maybe in the years to come they'll be more balanced that makes sense and in, in my mind that's a sign of that's how you should do it yeah <laughs> yeah if you got the personnel for it go ahead and do it and especially in in you know college football if that's passing i mean that's going to be more efficient than running it most of the time anyways if, if you can do it well yeah um, and i'm interested to see how the play calling dynamics work because you know you have kitchens who's doing it and um but you also have a play caller head coach right and then you have to like tony elliott obviously has been in this situation where like he called the plays but jeff scott had like a big influence in the offense too like mm-hmm. he could kind of like ask for them to call plays basically and stuff like that mm-hmm. um yeah so that's kind of like an end so i think like the and kitchens kind of said like hey if you don't like the play like tell me like we'll do something else like it's okay mm-hmm. and so like i think if they can make that work then that's good you know if it doesn't work then it's not so good but um, I've also seen offensive coordinators here who, you know, like have an ego and they like, they're going to do what they want to do regardless of like the long-term implications of that thing. Yep. Yep. Uh, one more thing you mentioned the rushing attack and Wayne Talapapa transfers out to Washington, Devin Darrington, he's gone. Uh, he's trying his luck at the NFL. So mm-hmm. that means that the only other running back labeled running back, we'll say on the roster <laughs> coming back with significant experience is Mike Hollins. Um, 
I mean, is he going to be the guy really kind of carrying the load in the backfield? Is there anyone else? Is Keaton Thompson, is he still a football player? Is he a, is he a running back? <laughs> is he a receiver? What does that look like in terms of just who's who's carrying the ball when they do run it out of the backfield? Yeah, I mean, like my hot take last year before the season was like they should just make Keaton the running back mm-hmm. because because he was so good when he did. He's awesome. Um, yeah, and and I think, but they were they were trying to make him more of a regular wide receiver, and he actually kind of excelled. So like it worked out okay. But yeah, I think they still need to keep the that stuff in the offense. And Kitchings kind of mentioned offhand the other day, like if we need to run him ten times, we'll run him ten times. So I was like, okay, cool. They're not like taking that off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually has an interesting experience with that because he was, you know, like he had Jalen Samuels with NC State who was like a like a running back tight end hybrid, mm, like yeah. H back. Um, and yeah, he got a lot of carries, but he was like a receiver. And and then also he did some interesting stuff with Cordero Patterson last year with the Falcons. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Where he was like running the ball, uh, which is, I mean, he was, he's kind of an interesting player, but um, yeah, I mean, you could see that, but it sounds like they're really high on Hollins. Um, Hollins is really talented and was super productive in Louisiana where he's from. And his career has kind of been weird because you know, as a freshman, he was playing as like a depth player, but he had like a couple fumbles. And, you know, I think they, they kind of didn't really need him to do a whole lot. That was the year they won the coastal. So like it was kind of the Bryce Perkins show. Right. Um, and then his sophomore year, he opted out with COVID or because of COVID. So he didn't play. Um, and then last year he comes back and then obviously they have this like pass heavy offense and you have Talapapa and Talapapa for all the, you know, he's not an explosive runner by any means, but he was a good pass blocker. So that's why he played a lot. And he kind of knew where, where he was supposed to be. So, like, they trusted him out there. But, yeah, Hollins is a more explosive runner. The question is, like, can he do it consistently? But it seems like the staff is, like, pretty high on his development. And he certainly is, like, talented. And um, he was out there today. It looked like he was getting a lot of reps. So uh, I'll expect him to be the guy. But – they have some other guys. Ahmad Faustin's a guy from Georgia that's a sophomore. He he looked really good in the spring game. Um, he's probably just a guy that's going to just have to get seasoning and keep coming along, and he'll be fine. He's big. Mm. Um, and then they brought in a transfer from Miami, Cody Brown, who was like their second or third running back last year. He's a freshman. Um, he was another player from Georgia, was like a big-time recruit, signed with Tennessee, and then ended up at Miami after Pruitt got fired. Um and he might be able to do something right like he's super talented and he played one season in miami i don't remember his stats they weren't like amazing or anything but he played um so i'm interested to see if maybe he can like jump the pecking order a little bit um but yeah i mean like interested to see how that goes he's certainly another talented player but yeah those two guys and then faustin and then Ronnie Walker, who was sort of like a depth option, he got hurt in spring ball. So we'll see how he comes along, but it could be, my my guess is like, it'll be running back by committee with Hollins as probably the primary guy. And then if Cody Brown comes in and like wows them, then maybe, maybe he can kind of like take it over from him. But I think it'll be kind of those two guys primarily. Well, and I'm sure it helps them having a quarterback that they'll be playing next to who is uh, very comfortable being one of the centerpieces of the run game. Yeah, and it's interesting too. Yeah, I mean, like they they kind of got away from that last year, which I think honestly I agree with because they just couldn't afford to get him hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually did get hurt anyway <laughs> in the BYU game, missed the Notre Dame game. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll do more of that. He's good at the read option stuff. He's a pretty savvy runner too, like underrated as a runner, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a lot of running in the COVID season uh, and did, did a nice job. But yeah, I think they'll, they'll be okay there. And one of the interesting things with the running backs too is like Clemson, if you go back and I watched so much of their offense over the last few months, just trying to get a sense of what to expect. And when they had running backs that could do it, they threw to them a lot. Like ETN caught a lot of balls um, and UVA staff doesn't really like the previous one didn't really throw to the running back at all. So I asked the running backs coach the other day, I was like, you know, where do you feel like you are with that? Like, do you feel like you have the guys that can do that? And he was like, yeah, it's kind of a work in progress. So like that part of the offense might not be as emphasized, but then you can use guys like Kemp and Thompson in the backfield and do, do stuff like that. Let's take a quick break to remind you about Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier place for buying all sorts of great officially licensed Georgia Tech apparel. They have got all sorts of great T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. Uh, They've got stickers now. They've got something for the whole family, men, women, children, everything. Go check them out. Once again, it's Section103.com. You're looking for shirts that are in the official Tech Gold. You're looking for shirts with the ATL logo on them. You're looking for other officially licensed things. Those things are hard to find in a lot of places for some reason. I don't know why. You can find them all on section103.com. Again, go go there, check them out. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. And, and again, they have some stickers that have just come out. Those, those are really cool. Everything is really high quality that I've gotten from them. Uh, I've gotten some of the performance shirts. I've got one of the hoodies. Um, everything I've got there is, is great, and it really goes great on a Saturday afternoon supporting the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at Bobby Dodd Stadium or – Anywhere else, you're in the Thriller Dome, you're at uh, McCamish Stadium, you're at uh, the Rusty Sea, you are going to a volleyball game. You need something to support Georgia Tech, go to section103.com. They have great products, they are all officially licensed, got those official word marks, the official colors, everything. Everything you could ask for, you can go find it all there. Once again, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order when you do go. Appreciate Steven and the gang for their partnership with Basketball Conference. We look forward to another great football season partnering with them. And now let's get back to it. Let's hit on the defense real quick, Justin. And I don't have a lot of specifics here. I know that there's there's some turnover uh, kind of throughout the defense as, as to be expected. But I think, I mean, the big, the big idea here is, again, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, Bronco Mendenhall for his career, all the teams that he coached typically were pretty good defensively. The last couple of years at Virginia, that was not the case at all. Uh, they, you, you came on here last year and you told us it was going to be a bit rough, and that you know that was definitely the case to say the least. Uh, they, yeah. they gave up a lot of yards, a lot of points, played a lot of shootouts. Um, thankfully, the offense was able to keep up in a lot of them, but um, it, it was a not a sight for sore eyes on the defensive side of the ball. John Radzinski comes in as you mentioned from Air Force. Um, is, is some of the changeover, I guess, in personnel? good in terms is this a little bit of an addition by subtraction thing getting some new new blood in there to uh to try to fortify the defense yeah I mean I think so um you know I I wasn't in practice last year really I mean day to day so I can't say that the guys that were playing like didn't deserve to play over the guys that didn't you know what I mean like but I think that's a fallacy sometimes is that big guy behind the guy that's bad is better it's like well you know there's probably a reason that that guy's not playing. Um, but I think like it was time, definitely time for a change. I mean, even if Bronco stayed, I think like keeping Nick Howell as a defensive coordinator was not a tenable situation. Sure. 
if you look at the stats, like if you looked at it as a chart, I mean, it would just be straight down. I mean, from like 2018 to 2019, the 2019, you know, they go on the coastal, but if you look at their defense, it, it re- Bryce Hall got hurt halfway through the season and then things really kind of fell off and they were just winning shootouts um, or losing them. And, and then 2020, like they were maybe a little better at times, but then it was just like, not, I mean, like North Carolina would light them up and other teams would light them up and it was kind of trying to win high scoring games. And then last year it just kind of culminated in just bad defense, really. I mean, like, it's so funny too, because if you look at it, they had two shutouts, like they shut out William and Harry and they shut out Duke. So it's like, you know, and they still had, I think they gave up like 30 something points a game. Um, But you know, North Carolina in the third game of the season just absolutely torched them. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, the problems are still there. And they were just, they gave up a lot of big plays. And I can't really point at any specific one thing that like, it wasn't like their recruiting just fell off a cliff or anything like that. Um, and you had the same guys coaching. So I don't think it was that. It's just, they, they just didn't have the pieces they needed to do what they needed to do on defense. Like, Broncos defense is when they were good, it was all pressure. You know, it was like Charles Snowden and guys like that, you know, getting after the quarterback and they just stopped getting after the quarterback. And as a result, their secondary was just getting picked apart. And then their tackling kind of got worse and they just gave up a ton of big plays. And in the, the ACC isn't the best football league, but you have some good players on the edge and good quarterbacks. Like you're going to get torched if you're not playing good second, you know, like defensive back secondary football, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested to see what they do schematically because Radzinski kind of at air force is very multiple, like, and I kind of like that approach. It's like, I'm not going to just run my stuff. I'm going to run whatever stuff I need to run. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like they'll be running more four down stuff. Um, and you know, more guys in the box, stuff like that. And trying to maybe like limit the big plays by playing off a little bit in the secondary and, as far as personnel goes, I mean, they added some impact transfers that I think can make an impact. Probably Cam Butler from Miami of Ohio, like he has a lot of sacks in his career, um, really productive player, chose UVA over Penn State. So, I mean, he had interest. Um, and they've added another guy, uh, Paul Akir from Columbia. Um, and, you know, I think he's going to be a solid player as well. And it's really going to come down to like, I think what they can get from the secondary and um you know how that looks because they just got torched there but a lot of the guys that were getting torched are gone so i mean we're gonna have to see what the other guys can do sure well and it sounds it sounds a little bit familiar with georgia tech from last year too i mean you had guys that were had been playing together for a while there were seniors that were you know well-regarded potential pro prospects and it's sometimes it just doesn't click with guys or, you know, whatever scheme they're running, something's broken. You know, the community. Yeah, it was hard. It's hard to tell on defense. Like I'm more like on offense. I can say like, Oh, this is, there's no blocking or whatever. Right. On defense. I'm like, like, did they roll the coverage wrong? Is that a communication problem? Is that guy just too slow? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, is the tackling bad or is it like, yeah. Are they misreading like assignments or is it like, they're just not athletic enough to play with their receivers? Like, especially last year. I mean, it was on full display when you got like Josh Downs and, and Jordan Addison and those guys, like if your guys can't play with them, it's going to be a bad day. A long day. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, like, I think the, the game that probably was the worst just, I mean, in terms of like Broncos identity and, and this is ironic, but it was, it was the BYU game. 
hmm. because like, you know, BYU has a decent quarterback, Jaron Hall, but like they lit UVA up on the ground. Like, and that's something that like uh, earlier UVA Bronco defense would not have allowed. And they just, they couldn't tackle. Like they were getting just gashed and it was like, what is going on? Yeah. And that was a game where like, Brandon Armstrong and, and the offense like willed them back into it. And I think at halftime it was like 42 38 or something crazy like that after UVA had been down 21 nothing. I remember watching that. Yeah. It was late at night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, I mean, they ended up losing, but yeah, I mean, that was that, that just kind of showed you how far off of like their identity they had gotten um, in a game like that. And it wasn't like BYU had some, you know, all world offense no. either. They only they scored, scored like 13 points the week before or something. I, for, I think like uh, they had just played like Washington state and they won like 16, 13 or something, yeah. you know, so. they only scored 40 points in a game twice all year. It was 66 against Virginia and 59 the following week against Idaho state. Yeah. Like so UVA's defense was almost as good as Idaho's. <laughs> it was a, uh, it was a little closer. A little but yeah, closer. I mean, before we jumped on here, we talked about that Georgia tech game where it was like, I think Georgia Tech actually got off to like a really good start. And then it was like UVA kind of dominated it. And then the last like five minutes, they gave up like three touchdowns or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Tech Tech scored, got an onside kick, scored again, got another onside kick and had the ball and was uh, driving down to, you know, maybe go tie the game and, and then didn't get it done. And people were like, oh, it's a one score loss. It's like, okay. But like they were down like 28 with like five minutes to go. Yeah. In the game. Yeah. Like this, the, yeah. the, the well, final I mean, score it, looks way closer than it actually was. And the, the thing minutes. is like, like I mentioned before, like they had the shutouts and they had some other like performances that were good or like in stretches. If you go back actually and look at the Miami game, like they, they played really well in the first like three quarters. Mm-hmm. And then they had like a couple bad drives. I don't really think they played that bad defense in that game. Um, that was like Tyler Van Dyke's first start, I think. Say, was that, and that was like a Thursday or a Friday night, too. It was yeah. a Thursday game, I think, yeah. And it was – honestly, I think you weren't really – that wasn't like the real TVD. It was like the I'm not ready yet TVD. And then, like, he kind of pick, figured it out, like, in the next couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, but, I mean, like, they showed some stretches. And what – I mean, if you really want to put it, like, in simple terms, the – the teams that they did well against were teams that couldn't hurt you like down the field or on the edge, like Duke, like mm. they had Mateo Durant. And it was like, if you can't, if you can just like stop him or keep him to like four yards of carry, like you're not going to get, you're not, you're going to be fine. Um, and you know, like even Virginia tech, like they just didn't have their typical guys. Like, and UVA's defense was fine in that game. They ended up giving up like 28 points or whatever, but like there was some weird stuff that led to some of those points. Like there was a safety and mm. um, stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, the teams that with the explosive athletes were just too much for them. And I think that was just – they put guys in a position where they just weren't able to do what they needed to do to succeed. And, and hopefully the new staff figures that out and does something different. <laughs> and the good news in my mind is that for a guy that's that spent a number of years at Air Force, I mean, he's used to coaching defenses that don't have huge guys up front that don't have the most athletic guys in the back, you know, in the secondary. Mm-hmm. So you get a guy who, who's used to working with, call it, you know, suboptimal players for what he's got to go up against, um, but clearly is able to scheme a lot of really effective defenses anyways and coach them and, and teach them and, and, and develop them that way. So uh, yeah, I, I understand the hire for sure. And I, the thing that impressed me watching them, and I still need to do more, Air Force, unfortunately, you know, like the ACC does a pretty good job of getting like condensed games and stuff out there. <laughs> the Mountain West does not have <laughs> as many condensed games. Um, but like I, as much as I've watched, like the things that impress me are like people fly to the ball, uh, people tackle, 
like, mm. you know, the, the easy stuff, or I guess it's not easy, but like the important fundamental things, um, you know, they're aggressive, but they're not just bringing the house every play. Um, and they, you know, like, I think there's a tendency to think like, Oh, it's because like their offense is on the field, the whole game air force. I don't remember what their possession numbers are. I don't think they're as like skewed as like army and Navy are with the triple, but um, you know, like if you look at the defense from like when he took over to where it ended up where he, when he left, I mean, even if that is a factor, like they got better. I mean, like I think in 2020 they gave up like 15 points a game or something mm-hmm. crazy like that. So, I mean, they definitely improved. Um, and yeah, you're right. And also I think the mountain West too, like there's a lot of different offenses in that league. It's not like you're playing against the triple every week, you mm-hmm. know, like you're playing teams that throw the ball a lot. Um, right. And so, like, I think he'll be good. He seems like a really sharp guy. Um, And uh, we'll see how that all comes together. But I think right now his biggest thing is, like, find out who your best 11 are and then what defense you should play based on that. Because um, he doesn't really have, like, a this is my base defense. Like, you know, this is what I'm running. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be a good thing if if you can figure out how to make it work, you know, by being multiple. And he has experience doing that. As we said on offense, if you fit your scheme to what your players do best, that's that's usually a good sign of good coaching. Yeah, and honestly, like this is the thing, and and the, the same is true of the offensive line. And we'll get to the schedule, I'm sure. Like you have Brennan Armstrong, you have all these skill guys, you have a pretty manageable schedule. They've been good at home, like over the last five years or something like that. Um, and you like your defense has some, there's potential for them to improve at least a little bit. Um, You know, you're getting some guys back on the defensive line. There's a chance that maybe you can get a pass rush. If your secondary can just be not terrible. That's, and that's my point. Like the defense and the offensive line just don't be awful. And they, if they can just get out of the way, like, or be average, then they could win a bunch of games. Like if you just look at what they have, their schedule this year and how it sets up for them, like, and that doesn't guarantee that you're going to have success in 2023. Right. Um, but at least maybe that helps your new coach, like get some momentum. And like you talked about like the fans and recruiting and things like that, like it helps you kind of get going. And then maybe you can attract more transfers, which is big for a program like UVA, especially at the quarterback position and, and all that. So, I mean, I think they have an opportunity this year to make some noise if they can just get their positions that are a question mark to be average at, you know, at least. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. They were like a hundred and something in defense last year. If you can just be like 70th, you know, like you might be okay in in the ACC. That goes a long way. Yeah. Just being average. (laughs) Yeah. Instead of giving up 30 points a game, give up 25. And it's like, all right, you know, like that you can make that work. Offensive line. Just don't get your quarterback hurt. (laughs) Basically like, you know, if you can avoid that and just, you know, you're going to have some rough moments, but like, you know, don't the sacks is what the offensive line, you just can't give up negative plays like that. Cause they kill drives, but like, yeah, just the defense and the offensive line, just be mediocre. That's all we ask. You know? Keep Armstrong on his feet and on the field and good things will happen for this Virginia mm-hmm. team. I suspect. And get like a stop at some <laughs> point, you know, like when they need it and you know, they'll be okay. They'll be fine. Let's look at this schedule, as you mentioned. I mean, it's not it's not totally daunting, but I think there's a it's couple. It's the weirdest of, UVA schedule I've ever seen. Uh, there's a couple of pretty weird spots here, yeah. Uh, 
Opening up, I mean, so non-conference, you start with the three non-conference games, Richmond at Illinois, home against Old Dominion. The the at Illinois spot, you win that game last year. I'm, I don't know, this feels like a, a program that's going into a bit of a rebuild versus a program that is already kind of rebuilt. Uh, that, that seems like that's going to be a tough one. Yeah, I mean, that's one where they destroyed them last year in mm-hmm. Charlottesville. Um, but I think, like, it's really going to come down to what Illinois is on offense because if they can score, then I think it's a game. Mm-hmm. If they can't, I think UVA just outscores them. But, um, yeah, and I mean, like, it's champagne. It's not like going into the, you know, the horseshoe or something. But yeah. I don't think it's, like, I don't think it's as much of a, like, no-brainer win as people think. I think it's kind of like a 50-50 but yeah, it just depends. But I think it's good for UVA to kind of get them early because if they're healthy and Illinois is healthy, UVA probably has the better team. And that's that's a team that, again, for a, an inexperienced offensive line, I mean, there's a potential yeah. that that defensive front for Illinois is pretty physical. Especially, I'm just I'm just thinking of Brett Bielema teams over the years, mm-hmm. old Bert. Yeah, and they, they. I mean, they look kind of like a. I mean, you could see it last year. Like they were bad, mm-hmm. but like they they had beaten Nebraska in that week zero game. And then it was like, they came to Charlottesville week two and it was like, okay, the problem is they just, and I don't, I need to look at their roster and see where they are now. But like, I remember like the early Bronco teams, it takes a while to kind of like get the guys, but they're, but they just couldn't, they couldn't like guard anybody like on defense, like they couldn't stay in front of anybody. And that's my thing is like, if the offensive line can just give Brennan time to make a few throws, like let the receivers do the rest. But yeah, I don't think it's a guaranteed win. I think it's a winnable game. Yeah. I think that's probably about right. Probably a, a mm-hmm. toss-up. And then, Justin, the fourth out-of-conference game is arguably probably the weirdest spot of anybody in the ACC this year. It is the week before Thanksgiving. They are hosting the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Um, yeah, they kind of did like a – you know, normally that's like the, oh, we're going to put the FCS program here and just take care of business before our rivalry game, and they like picked a, the bet like a, a – a bad team to play like the week before a rivalry game, but with the quarterback situation and everything being so good. I'm guessing that's one that uh, they scheduled like five years ahead of time. Like, Oh, we'll just walk through them. And then no, oh, look, they scheduled it last year. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were trying. It's like a, it's like a two for one, I think. So uh, like coastal comes up here twice. Yeah. I'm not really sure what that was about. I think they might've, I, I might, I'm speculating, but I think they might've had something scheduled and then they moved it. And so, like, they kind of needed to fill it at the last minute or something. Okay. Um, but they're going to Myrtle Beach at some point, and then they come back up here to Charlottesville again. I think they might have, like, canceled a Liberty game or something. Like, mm-hmm. I can't remember what it was. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, like, you're that's going to be a tougher game. Mike London's team's always had these. They played, like, a really good Louisiana Tech team and, like, a really good Southern Miss team when Larry Fedora was there. It's like, how does this keep happening? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, these end up being largely kind of like, in a way, they're no-win situations. Like, you're playing a G5 mm-hmm. team, but you're playing a good G5 team where there's still a G5 team, so if you win, you only get so much credit. But, like, you could lose, and if you lose, you lost to a G5 team. Uh, yeah, and one of the things I've noticed, I don't know about, I can't speak to other fan bases, but I think UVA fans, like, sometimes just assume those teams aren't good. Like, they're like, I remember one year they played Ball State, and Ball State had like a really good. They had like an NFL quarterback, and like Willie Steed was on that team, and mm. they were good. And I remember like looking at their stuff, and they had beaten Indiana already. And I was like, this is not like an easy. And Vegas had it as like a pick 'em. This was like in the Mike London years. So like, 
Yeah, but the fans, I remember, like, before the game, people were just like, oh, they'll win this. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, you know, and they ain't lost by, like, three touchdowns, you know. <laughs> and so it's like I think a lot of times teams, people just sleep on, like, the MAC teams and the teams from, like, the, you know, Conference USA and, in this mm-hmm. case, the Sun Belt. Like, but I think people are kind of – Coastal's on the radar for people just because, like, they they had such a good year last year. And, and then during the COVID year, they mm-hmm. were really good. Um, but I think this is, I mean, again, you, you're a power five team. You can, you can win this game. You'll almost certainly be favored depending on how the season goes. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, so like you can see, like they have the potential to go four and O, but in the non-conference, if things go well, but there's also like some tricky spots. And then you look at like the schedule as it is. I think it's like pretty good to start, like pretty favorable. And then it like kind of turns, but then you also get a bunch of home games and, I'll let you go through it. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's you, you play three of your first five and four of your first six uh, all on the road. Uh, you know, Richmond at Illinois, Old Dominion at Syracuse, at Duke, Louisville at Georgia Tech, and then Miami, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Coastal Carolina, all at home, all in a mm-hmm. row. Four then, in a row at home. <laughs> and then at Virginia Tech, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, too, looking at these road games in conference. I mean, at Syracuse, at Duke, at Georgia Tech is – probably about as minimally daunting a road schedule as yeah. any coastal team could ask for. <laughs> I was telling, I was telling people last year, I was like the schedule like last season was not the best for UVA just because like you look at who they played, they played BYU and Notre Dame in the same year. They had to go to BYU in the middle of the season. Um, you know, Notre Dame was late. You know, you go to Miami, you go to Carolina, you go to Louisville uh, and you go to Pitt. Mm-hmm. you know? And this year it's like, you're kind of getting the, the reverse of that and it's like all your your most winnable acc games are on the road um so like if you can win those and like i said they've been better at home than people probably realize mm-hmm. um they actually i think we're like i saw a chart the other day and it was like uva like is first nationally in like win ex- wins over win expectancy at home mm-hmm. so like winning more games than the computers think they should um hmm. yeah i mean i didn't i didn't know that but um yeah i mean like it, it kind of says like hey if you win the games on the road that like you're 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 pure the better team and then you can like maybe pick a couple teams off at home you're looking at some wins but i think like the new staff new schemes thing might cancel some of that out a little bit mm-hmm. you know yeah it, it's yeah like if this was bronco staff i'd be like oh they're set up to succeed like, you know what I mean? Like right. it's like they're every all the schemes are the same, and look at your schedule. Like it's a it's a winnable schedule. Well, um, and there's there's not a single game on this schedule. I mean, maybe they don't have like an unwinnable game. That's kind of what I was gonna say. Is like there's not a single game on here that's like oh because like you, I mean you can't loss. tell me like Miami isn't winnable at home. UVA right. beat them last year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and as good as we think Miami is gonna be, I mean sometimes it takes a little while and you never know who could be hurt. And I mean, anything, any number of things could happen. And that's, I was going to say, I mean, you have your, your toughest four conference games, arguably your five toughest games of the year, all at home, Louisville, Mm -hmm. Miami, North Carolina, Pittsburgh. And then, you know, is it coastal Carolina? Is that the fifth toughest game of the year? Cause that's at home too. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it would be kind of foolish to discount Virginia tech. Um, I don't really, I'm not a big believer in their roster this year, Yeah. but it, it's Virginia, Virginia tech. Right. We know how that goes. <laughs> like, um, I don't think you can take that one for granted, but I think there's a chance that depending on health, UVA might just be like clearly better than them at sure. the end of the season. And then you can make that case that they were last year too, and they still lost. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
I think like if, if the, I was a little bit more confident in the defense or the, or the offensive line, I think I would be like, they're set up to be good in year one. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, and you hope that it doesn't work out the same way, but like how Justin Fuente took over a tech situation that was kind of advantageous and won like nine games mm-hmm. um, and then didn't parlay that into long-term success, but it got him off the, you know, on the right foot or whatever. And um, I think you, I think, I, I do think there's potential for that here. Um like if things go well and the schedule goes the way that we think it, it does, I mean, you look at like at Syracuse, like sure they could win that game. Mm-hmm. Um, revenge game for their offensive coordinator, who is or Robert and I, who's now at Syracuse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, like at Georgia Tech on a Thursday night, like why not? You know, they could win that game. They could beat Duke. They probably should. Yeah. Um, they beat Louisville last year, and that one's at home. You know, you beat Miami last year, and that one's at home. Um, Illinois, you beat by four touchdowns last year. Like it sets up to be, I'm not saying like they have to win a bunch of games for people to feel good about this, but, and also they have the X factor of good quarterback play. So like if you, if all those things work out, like if we were going through like Duke schedule and it was this way, I wouldn't, I would just be like, well, they're still going to be bad. You know, Mm -hmm. like I think UVA is like a middle of the road team with a schedule that might, allow them to win some games. Um, I mean, you could have a situation where like, if things go well early, you know, let's say you go through Richmond, you beat Illinois, you beat ODU, you go to Syracuse, you could win that game. You're four and oh, and then you have Duke. And then it's like, all right, like now things are kind of rolling. And then you, and then the back half of the schedule comes like when you get to Georgia tech after the bye, and then Miami, and then things really take off. So then it becomes like, you could have meaningful games in the back half of the schedule, if you stumble out of the gate, you lose to Illinois, you lose to Syracuse, you know, you lose to Georgia tech or whatever, like two out of those three, then all of a sudden you're looking at that back half of the schedule and saying, we have all the heavy lifting left to do. Coastal isn't a guaranteed win. Virginia tech isn't a guaranteed win. It could be kind of rough. Mm -hmm. Um, But that, I mean, we'll know, I think around, let's say like that Georgia tech game, like, maybe the maybe like the duke game before that or whatever if they're sitting at like four and one five and oh something like that then yeah they they could go nine and three or something or if they're at three and two it's like all right you know now it's like how do you get to six yeah i i was gonna say i (laughs) i i don't think it's like totally off the table that you could have like one of the weirdest seasons ever like it it, you could easily I, i say easily it is it is on the table. There is a world that you start five and zero and finish five and seven, like yeah, something <laughs> like, like that. Just with the way the schedule is structured, it you know. I mean, they could really like if you just went game by game and like looked at the FPI or whatever, they could start with seven and zero. Like yeah. if you just look at each game, sure. they won't. But like they could, mm-hmm. and then it's like Miami comes to town and you you know you lose that, and then you lose to Carolina, and then you lose to Pitt, mm-hmm. and then you, then you have Coastal and Virginia Tech, two tough games. So it's like. Yeah, I mean, that could happen. And honestly, if that did happen, that would be fine. Like, I mean, fans would not like that. They would think that they were going to the playoff after they you know, start 5-0 and or whatever. But, yeah. um, you know, it's year one. I think people have to kind of keep it in perspective, even though the only thing is you just don't want to squander, like having Dontavian Wicks, Brendan Armstrong, Keaton Thompson, all these guys, like UVA for years. I've watched a lot of UVA football, like, They've struggled to have skill players that are meaningful. And now they have a bunch of them, including a really good quarterback. Um, 
And we so haven't even mentioned like, Lavelle Davis coming back. Right, Lavelle either. Davis coming back from injury. Yeah, and he looked pretty good today. Um, seemed like he was back to his old ways. Yeah, he looked a little slow in the spring with a brace. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think he's coming back. And yeah, I mean, like it's all there for them if they can just find ways to mitigate some of their weaknesses. And it's I don't remember ever seeing a team with so many like obvious strengths and obvious like it's like what's the other like what's the catch and it's like well the catch is they don't have any offensive line yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like oh it's not like oh they lost one offensive lineman it's like they lost all of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know so we'll see I mean it, it'll be an interesting season but you know in the coastal there's if you ask me like what I'm expecting I would say like I expect it to be very coastally sure you know for them. Well, for, for one last time, the Coastal will be very coastally, I, I think. Yeah, so. exactly. I mean, like, I think, like, if you look at their roster, there's a lot of positives. There's a lot of negatives. You look at their schedule, there's a lot of positives. There's some maybe, like, tough spots. So, it's like, I think that's just how it's going to be. Like, I think they're going to be an, a decent team. I think the one thing I would say and, and is that they might be a, a fun, mediocre team where it's like, you know, they're going to lose games, but they're going to lose games, like, 42 to 41 mm-hmm. instead of you know 17 14 and there's gonna so, be i mean yeah. like it, the value of the entertainment value at least might be up every drive they don't score there's a turnover or something exciting in some form or fashion yeah yeah i mean yeah off two offensive linemen like run into each other and you know like somebody gets sacked uh, who knows i mean I, I don't know that it'll be that bad i think you know they've got some talent on the offensive line but yeah sure. we'll see i mean it's just one of those things where it's like you're setting up for possible you don't want to like disappoint fans right out of the gate with like, it, it's not fair to your coach. If it's like, well, if they go six and six, that's a failure. I sure. think you can't look at it that way. Um, yep. And and I think some people might just because of who they bring back at, at the quarterback spot, but you know, it, it, we'll see how it goes. It's just, I don't expect them. The one thing I would say that would surprise me barring injury would be like that they would just be bad. So like Broncos first season, I thought they would be like a six and six or maybe, maybe better team because they, the coaching staff would be much better. And they brought in Kurt Bankert who's like a pretty good transfer quarterback and they had some pieces Mm -hmm. and they went two and 10. They lost to Richmond by 17 points, like in the first game of the season. So, I mean, the bottom completely fell out and it was like, this rebuild is way bigger than we thought. Mm-hmm. Tony Elliott isn't really inheriting like a broken program. He's inheriting a program that has like some stuff that needs to be fixed, but like they, you know, they were bowl eligible for like five years in a row and they've only other done that one other time in program history. So I don't think he's inheriting a situation where it's like a complete disaster or anything like that. Do you have a, uh, an official record prediction here? Um, yeah. I mean, I've been kind of like, we do this on our podcast too. Um, but I've been kind of like going back and forth. I'm going to be conservative and say six and six. Um, I know there's probably people out there that are like, they could definitely go four and eight. And I, I, I'm with you. If Brandon Armstrong gets hurt or something like oh, all yeah. bets are off. Um, but I think they have enough talent here to, um, to win some games. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I think there's more, uh, like if I, if I pick them at six and six and you ask me like, what's, what would be more surprising, like nine and three or three and nine, I would say three and nine would be more surprising. Hmm. Um, just because I think like the, the, the schedule falls like the way that it could, where it's like, you know, you win it, you win your toss ups, you early, you beat Illinois, you beat Syracuse, you beat Louisville at home, a team that they've had some success against. You yeah. beat Georgia tech on the road. You've won a bunch of games. And then it's like in the back half, like you play a G5 team who's good, but it's a G5 team. And and Virginia Tech, who's like kind of in a different place. So it's like, eh, 
but I, I would, I mean, I would still not put money on him going nine and three, but I think there's more like upside here than people might realize just, just based on the schedule. Mm-hmm. I, I looked at the, uh, the win total at my, like seven and a half, right? Neighborhood yeah. shop is like seven and a half, yeah. But under it, yeah. So there's some Vegas is kind of buying it, you know. They're buying the, the optimism, um, sure. But yeah, I mean, I would say like I, if you, just, I would say like seven and five, six and six, and I think that's okay. I think you know, I mean, it's, it would be disappointing in some ways, but um, For you know, you're, you're yeah. it, it's not a it's not a complete you know disaster like what did they pick the wrong coach if they go seven and five you know right um right and i I think you know they they, it's a bridge year and we'll see how it goes but i think you know there's some things to be excited about absolutely i'm right there with you justin i I think six and six is where where i come down and it is interesting i mean the the easiest games are up front it is a very backloaded schedule um you know i i'm not super sold that they'll beat Illinois, but like you said, I mean, they beat them mm-hmm. by four scores last year, and I, I mean, it wouldn't shock me for them to win that game. Um, I don't think Old Dominion is all that threatening, uh, especially getting that game at home. Um, crazier things have happened in, involving Old Dominion. That's one where, I, like, you can't really spend too much time thinking about it. Like, I mean, the coaches have to, but, like, I can't sit here and be like, are they going to lose to ODU? Because if you think that, then you just think they're going to be bad. Like, right, there's, there's right. not really much else to say. Exactly, exactly. Um I do think at Syracuse, at Georgia Tech, either of those could get kind of sideways. Uh, yeah. and, and that's a huge game for Georgia Tech, by the way. I mean, if they're going to win anything, that's like the, the second or third easiest game on their schedule. Um, and, and yeah, I don't know what they were doing with their non-conference scheduling. But. It's, it's a whole ball of wax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I think I'll go six and six. I think there's a couple of growing pains, new staff, and – a staff that's kind of largely coaching at a higher level than they have in the past. Um, and so I think between that, some of the offensive line questions, I think that becomes an issue. And then just, again, the defense w- was not good last year. And so improvements might just mean getting towards average. And, and mm-hmm. so. And they went six and six with the dumpster fire of a defense last year. So, right. I mean, it's right. possible. So I, I'm going to say six and six. I, I see what you're saying completely with upside and especially with the way the schedule is structured and who you get home and away and all that. So um, I, I think there is upside there. But like you said, too, I mean, there's probably some downside as well. If, if something goes wrong, Brendan Armstrong misses a couple games yeah. with an injury like it, it could it could go south fairly quickly without without a whole lot of anything having to happen. Yeah. And if, if so, it's seven and a half. I mean, if I was uh, if you're looking for like a betting tip, I'd probably go under. Yeah. Just because of the so Brendan Armstrong has gotten hurt in each of the last three seasons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, like last year he broke a rib or did something to his ribs and missed it one game. The year before that he got a concussion, so he missed like most of one game and then a whole other game. Um, and then the year before that, when he was Bryce Perkins' backup, he actually had turf toe and like it didn't really affect games because he didn't have to play. But like they had to kind of stop running Bryce so much because they were like, we don't want to go to the third quarterback. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, like that's something to keep an eye on. Like, I don't, I don't want to label someone as injury prone, um, but when you have a bad offensive line potential, like, you know, I'm not, I don't know if they're going to be terrible or what, but you know, obviously it's not like a perfect situation. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think like I would probably say if you think like they'll lose some of the toss ups and then like it one their one injury. I mean, if Brandon Armstrong gets hurt in the Richmond game, like Jay Wolfolk, the backup, like he, he could be good. He's a really good baseball player. He's on the baseball team. There you go. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's your fun fact. Um, but 
like do you really trust the dude who, who's like barely played you know like to, to get through this schedule probably not so i mean you, you're like potentially one injury away from like three and nine mm. four and eight something like that so yeah. i think the under is probably where i would put money um but you might you might be sweating i could see them being like seven and four going into that tech game or something like i don't sure. think that's completely off the table yeah absolutely absolutely well it'll be fun to see um Justin, I did actually just get something from Mike, uh, a <laughs> prediction from him. Uh, let's see what he had to say here. Virginia's awesome. All right. I, he's sticking with, you know, I, I, I agree. I agree, Mike. I, I think they are. And uh, as, as Justin has said, I mean, there's a lot of potential that that could be the case this year. So the most uh, mind blowing thing is like, what was the context of that? Like, <laughs> it must have been like the passing game or something. I think he was uh, defending an opinion uh, or something. He said, you know, like I think I was I was uh, uh, calling him out for uh, poo pooing, you know, Virginia a little too much. He's like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, Virginia's awesome. And, and that uh, was probably when they were like six and two last year because they they went six and two and then finished six and six. So yep, like, it's yep. probably like at the peak. <laughs> The Some, zenith of their season. Somebody listening to this will will remember what it is from, and I, and I really hope they reach out to us and let us know uh, and remind us where it was from. We'll see. We'll see. Um, Justin, this has been great. I, I really appreciate your time here. This has been really insightful into this Virginia team coming into this fall. It, again, it'll be an interesting year. New, new new coaching staff, interesting schedule, a lot of upside. You know, some good good players coming back. So, should be a fun fall for the Cavaliers. Um, do you want to tell the people real quick where they can go find your stuff? Yeah, sure. So on Twitter, I'm Justin underscore Ferber, F-E-R-B-E-R. And then uh, I'm at CavsCorner.com, which is UVA's site on the Rivals Network. Um, so, yeah, we're just starting to get into camp here. Today was the first practice. So if you're interested in UVA sports, UVA football, basketball stuff, give us a look. Absolutely. Highly recommended. Uh, Justin, thank you so much. We're going to get out of here real quick. Uh if once again, you can go find Justin on Twitter at Justin underscore Ferber. Uh, you can find me on, on Twitter at FTRS Joey. Mike is at Mike McDaniel SI together at BC podcast ACC. Send us an email. The longest email address known to man basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, all those good places. Uh, but please, you know, appreciate those who have subscribed, who follow, do all those things and, and give us ratings. We appreciate that as well. Uh, Justin, anything else before we get out of here? Appreciate your time tonight. No, nope. uh, I think that's it. See you. <laughs> see you in the actual basketball season if this offensive line situation doesn't come together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll uh, we'll be able to check in before then and talk about some some wins that have been racked up by the Cavs. There you go, Justin. Thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. All right. Sounds good. Have a good one. You too. All right. For that guy, Mr. Justin Ferber, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. We'll be back with some more previews. So keep it tuned here. Until then. Virginia's awesome. And go ACC. Nobody's here.